Today's episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CS Business Screen. In today's economic climate, it is more important than ever to ensure you partner with the right people. CS Business Screen can help de-risk real estate partnerships by uncovering hidden criminal, civil, financial, and reputational risks. Investigations start as low as $99 and can be turned around in two business days. Avoid getting burned by bad partnerships and use CS Business Screen to get the data you need to make a confident business decision. Receive an exclusive 20% discount on your first investigation by visiting their website at www.csbusinessscreen.com slash cobble. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast. Excited to be going live with you today with the billion-dollar mortgage broker, Henry Stemler. He's got a really crazy story. Can't wait to hear um, about how he closed a $1.85 billion loan. In 2021 to 2022, he actually closed about almost $5 billion in debt and equity, uh, mostly on the multifamily brokerage side. And we're going to be diving into how you pull deals like that together and also how you as a commercial real estate investor in this market can navigate the the lending space it's very interesting out there right now uh, a lot of people are saying we're not in a recession and that to me is pretty hard to believe i feel like we wholeheartedly are in a recession but that doesn't mean that you can't be investing in commercial real estate and securing debt on your loans so uh, let's dive right into it henry that was a very brief uh, background on you but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself sure uh, so I am at Newmark. Newmark is a global real estate firm. Prior to that, I was at Cantor Fitzgerald. Uh, in 2017, myself and my team got transferred from Cantor into Newmark. Uh, at Newmark, Newmark sells around $50 billion worth of multifamily a year. Most of the brokers across the US have embedded debt guys with them in the office. So we, who had just been transferred over, were looking for a way to make our mark but the guys in Florida had a debt team, the guys in Texas had a debt team, the guys in the Carolinas. But at the time, the New York real estate market was going through some crazy turbulence because they were instituting very draconian rent regulations, rent controls, rent control methods. You couldn't evict tenants. You couldn't get rid of rent control tenants. Even if you fix up the units, you couldn't push rents. So a lot of the traditional New York multifamily buyers were looking for opportunities. So it was just the perfect time we started bringing a lot of these New York buyers out of market to Philly, to the Midwest, to the Carolinas, to the Sun Belt, And it was just a perfect time for us because the New York buyers brought their aggression, their hard deposit attitude. We'll go hard $2 million, very quick, very fast moving because in New York, you have to be like that. And they brought that to more of the slower pace markets and that kind of changed the paradigm. So we were able to ramp up very, very quickly and start to do a lot of business because we had these New York buyers. And because we had this New York buyers, this endeared us to our investment sale brokers because we were bringing a new creed, a new type of buyer to the market. So we hit the ground running in a very big way. And fast forward to today, we are the number one multifamily debt group at Newmark last year. We did $4.4 billion of multifamily deals the year before, $3 billion and so on and so forth. So we are, thank God, at the pinnacle of our game and uh, I'm excited to dive in to this economy. And I couldn't agree with you more. It certainly feels like we're in a recession, even though the, the jobs report came out today, insane, half a million new jobs added in the private sector. So a lot of different things weighing on us. The 10 year has spiked like crazy, making diff deals very difficult, but I don't wanna get too far ahead of myself. Just wanna give you a little introduction and then 
you you give me the questions. Yeah, it's so true. It's such a it's it's a really interesting market out there right now because it's see like all of the the metrics that you track say that we're in a recession, but people are continuing to buy. People still have jobs. Uh, it's just made things a little more difficult. You know, I was having a conversation this morning with some uh, commercial real estate investor friends of mine, and and it seems like you know what the Fed is trying to do is working, but everybody is still trying to fight through that and get deals done. So, you know, compared to to this time last year, what's it like going through the the funding process on these projects? Very very challenging. Very challenging because you're experiencing huge swings so let's say you put a deal under contract at a hundred million dollars and you underwrote your debt at five and a half percent this morning you wake up and the 10 year is at over four 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 hundred basis points so now all of a sudden the debt you underwrote is now stale and it's much more expensive so your hundred million dollar offer can no longer be a hundred million dollars you have to go back and read the seller that makes getting deals done very challenging we're seeing huge swings in chair in treasuries in the last two months the tenure has raised from the lowest point of where it was two months ago over 90 basis points that's a huge huge swing so it's incredibly challenging besides the swing within the treasuries between the five year the seven the seven year the ten year and sofa you're also facing bank for banks who have gone out of business so the banks are very scared they're in their shell they're not being aggressive the life goes are being very conservative so the lending sources are also very, very conservative. Last year, the debt funds were very much in vogue. Everyone was doing debt fund business, the Arbors, the MF1s, the, 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 the Benefit Streets, the Max. Those guys are out of the market. They're not doing anything so, because it's too expensive to borrow floating rate debt. So one huge part of the market is gone. So now we really are reliant mostly on Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. And when they have too much power, they also don't want to get aggressive because they've got no competition. So it's very challenging because of a myriad of reasons, but mostly because of the, the swings in the Treasury and because the pullback by a lot of lenders. Saying that, there are still a lot of deals getting done because there are still opportunities, especially now. Especially now that operators are in trouble, they need to sell, they need to get deals done, merchant builders need to sell. So while you have a lot of issues, you also have some light because you have a lot of opportunities. Deals that were trading at a three cap last year are now trading close to a five cap and plus. So obviously there's been a swing. So there's always opportunity when there's a downturn in the market. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, you know, more millionaires were made in real estate in 2010 than probably ever before because they were sitting there ready to buy everything up. Uh, and, and, you know, it feels like, because you know we handle a lot of investment sales at, at our commercial real estate brokerage, and it feels like there's almost this fear of missing out that's going on, where investors are looking at it, going, "Yeah, I mean, you know, we're not going to really cash flow with interest rates where they are. Yeah, we're having to put more money down, but also we'd rather buy the deal now and refinance in a couple of years than miss out on this deal entirely." Are you seeing quite a bit of that? Yeah. So I'm, I, what I'm seeing is I'm seeing that a lot of the big institutions are looking to take advantage of the pain that the merchant builders are feeling. Because the merchant builders took out loans, building their property with floating debt, typically the merchant builder would build the deal, lease up to 90%, and then bring it to market with an investment sale broker like Newmark or someone like your firm. But today, 
the bank he's choking his rate which was five percent two years ago is now nine ten percent today because sofa has got increased from 10 bips in 2020 to 500 basis points today so the merchant builders need to sell so if i can go in and buy a brand new in Austin, brand new building i'll take the least up risk but I, I was paying 350 a door and now i'm paying 250 and fundamentally changed it why would i not buy a deal today at 250 a unit a year ago that was 350 a unit so that the big institutions are saying let me buy great price per pound i'll have not a lot of cash flow but in three years time four years time when the market turn, returns I will have bought this asset incredibly cheap and I can go turn around and sell it for back to where it should be at 350, 360 a unit. So that's what I'm seeing. Yep. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So you're you're on the capital markets side. I want to dive into that a little bit more because the capital markets guys are often an investment broker's best friends, right? Because you're the ones that are helping source the debt to actually get the deal done once you know a commercial real estate broker has found the right one for their client. So how does that relationship work with you on on the investment debt side, uh, working with commercial real estate brokers and working with investors to to secure these these loans for their projects? So so very much we will. We'll do much more than just do the debt. So the way we look at ourselves and the way we've been able to achieve incredible success is we look at ourselves as an extension of our clients. I always tell guys that if you want to be in the brokerage capacity, you have to find ways to drive revenue to your clients. So rather than sit and wait for a client to bring us a deal and say, hey, I'm looking at this deal. I want to run after this deal. Can you size it for me? We are constantly mining our pipeline constantly talking to our investment sale brokers across the country, constantly seeing what they're selling, knowing where the bones are buried, and then making the connection, connecting the dots. So if we have a portfolio, we have a portfolio right now in Denver. Courtney Crowder, our investment sale broker, brought it to market. It's a DRA deal. It's shy of $400 million. It's workforce housing. I'm not waiting for my investor to come and say, hey, I'm looking at this portfolio. I'm actively alongside Courtney, bringing it to my guy saying, hey, this is a big opportunity to buy bulk in a great market. Let's look at this deal. So we're constantly funneling deals to our clients. Now, once we've done that, once the client says, I like the deal, I want to go get it, we're going to work with him and the investment sale broker to make sure he wins the deal. And that works by either we have a relationship with the seller, we go on the best and final call, we, we, we make sure that our, our, our the questionnaires are fully buttoned up. We make sure they have everything in place. I was on a best and final call yesterday where the seller was asking me about the debt. I said, we've provided two quotes. I went through the quotes in, in great detail. And then I ended saying, look, this is a great buyer for you because one, they're low leverage. So they're not affected by the swing so much that their leverage will be cut back. They're already low leverage buyers. And two, we've done six deals with them over the last four months and they've not had a single footfall. And even though treasuries have spiked 40, 50 base points, they've not retraded. So then once we've secured the deal in today's market, you have to cast a very wide net. You have to go out to you have to uncover the right lender. So obviously, Freddie, Fanny are always going to be there. But many times you can find a pool of capital that could be accretive, could be a, a good execution. We recently closed a hundred and eighteen million dollar deal where KKR used its captive insurance money as the lender. So we'll cast a wide net. We'll go out to everybody and their mother, talk to as many lenders as possible, and we'll put together the matrix of all the different lenders and then ultimately we'll present that to the client present that to the sale broker with the client and he'll choose what's the best execution from him that's what we do that's really interesting i've never heard a a 
commercial lender or capital markets team that actually goes out and finds deals for their clients. I mean, that's a very proactive approach and it makes a lot of sense if you're if you're confident enough in being able to get your client the the debt and equity that they need to take down this project and it checks their boxes, why wouldn't you try and pull that together? Is that yeah. something that is unique to Newmark or is that something that's kind of unique to your team that you guys started off doing on your own? I think it's very unique to our team. Most debt brokers kind of stand out there with a catcher's mitt waiting for the apple to fall. We don't want to do that. We, we really want to find ways to push deals. And we're all the time, we're bringing listings to our investment sale brokers as well. So we, we, so we know with our, with our clients, their portfolio, we know what they're holding. Many times we'll tell our client, look, you've had a good runway, you've had a good run. It's time to take some chips off the board. Let's list this deal. Let's sell the deal. So we'll bring a lot of deals to our investment sale brokers. It kind of works hand in hand. We're incredibly proactive. And I think in a brokerage capacity, you have to be. It's not just about doing the work they give you. If you can find ways to bring relationships, be it debt, be it equity, especially equity. If you can say, hey, I've got a guy that's got a $10 million, 1031. I know you're buying a deal. Can he come into the deal with you? That's going to endear you to your client like nothing does. And they're going to be very loyal to you. Yeah, I think that's great. Joe is saying thank you for this. Absolutely, Joe. Thanks for jumping in. If you're joining us live, feel free to jump into the live chat and ask Henry whatever questions you have. We're going to be talking about the current state of debt and lending and, and capital markets in the United States right now as we're trying to, to get some more commercial real estate investments done. So, Henry, um, in your experience as as a on the on the on the lending side, you know, are you noticing any significant shifts or emerging trends in in that world that you know, investors should be aware of? Yeah, so so obviously. So so the type of loan you're gonna do is very much gonna be determined by where the interest rates are, what's the best execution for you, what's the most accretive loan for you. So while a year ago, everyone was borrowing floating rate, bridge finance, 80, 85% LTV, today the paradigm has shifted completely away from that. People don't want to be in floating rate loans anymore. There's just too much volatility. The floating rate loans have gone up so much. People are getting absolutely crushed. So there's a flight to uh, fixed rate finance, lower leverage, being a little bit more conservative, lower leverage, but fixed rate, be it five year, be it seven year, be it 10 year. And I would say that most of our clients aren't doing five year money. They have a long horizon. They think we're going to see high interest rates for quite a while. Most of them are doing seven, eight to 10 year fixed rate finance. And then there's, there's also been a huge paradigm shift away from the type of assets they're being transacted with. So last year, I would say most of the deals being done the year before were value add deals. That was the, the, the darling of the industry. Go in, buy a 70s vintage property, put in 10 to $15,000 in the units, fix them up, Take the push NOI, now retenant that unit, get more rent, take your, your new rent roll, go back to the bank and refi out your money. And you would do that with floating rate debt. Today, it's very hard to buy a heavy value add deal because you can't take floating rate debt. So more and more of the deals that are getting done today, I would say are less value add and more new built lease up multifamily. So not only have you seen a big dynamic shift of, of the lending market, you've also seen a big dynamic shift of what's being transacted with. And to, today to buy value add is very, very difficult because one, you can't really borrow from debt funds anymore. So debt funds always funded the future funding. They would give you 80% of purchase plus 100% of the future funding to fix those units. Today, that money is too expensive. So if you buy that value add deal, 
You've got to come out of pocket for the CapEx. That's a big check to write. So we've seen a very, very big swing away from value add. Not to say value add deals aren't getting done, but most of the deals that we are doing are new built multifamily deals that are just simply taking on the deal, taking the lease up risk, taking and retenanting the deals with higher rent, higher renters, and just clipping a coupon. Yeah, talking about adjustable rate mortgages. I mean, we we sold a project back in September, and the seller came to us, you know, one week or two weeks before closing after extending a couple of times, couldn't get their their debt together, and asked us to uh, to sell or finance it. We didn't really want to because it was going to eliminate our opportunity to do a ten thirty one exchange. So, you know, we threw out the terms under which we would do it. And of course, having an adjustable rate mortgage with a floor of 7.25% ended up being, you know, what we were willing to do it at. And guess what he ended up paying? It started off at seven and a quarter, but because it was adjustable on a monthly basis, he was paying 9.75% interest by the time um, that he paid me off, uh, you know, a few days back, back on, on June 30th. And, you know, that was $21,000 a month interest only on a vacant building just sitting there for almost a year. That's That gets crazy expensive. When you don't have income coming in, those adjustable rate mortgages will get you. And, you know, let's, let's talk more about the value add versus new construction multifamily space right now, because there are a lot of investors out there that would love to buy apartment complexes. But the the problem that I'm seeing, and I'm, I'm curious if you're seeing the same thing, you know, value add multifamily became this huge thing back in, you know, 2012 or 2013, whenever people really started being able to 506B syndicate these deals with friends and family capital instead of just accredited investors. And the majority of the product they wanted to work on for mostly construction reasons and, and longevity reasons was 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s product. And in my experience, most of those properties have been renovated like three, four, five, six times at this point, And there's just no more value add opportunity in that space. Is that kind of what you're seeing? Is that why people are shifting more into new construction or what's going on in the market? No, I, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that's the reason I think I think the value add story is such a compelling story because think about it. No one builds workforce housing today. Think about Miami, right. Florida, right? Miami, Florida, Two, three years, four years ago was was okay. You know, prior to COVID was all right. Post COVID, massive boom on fire. So everyone's building new built multi to house these people. No one's building workforce, and people need workforce housing. Look, uh, nurses, uh, workers, you know, construction. Everybody needs somewhere to live. So the value add story was so compelling because no one's building that asset class. So if you could go in, take a seventies, eighties product of. Of, of workforce housing, fix it up and push rents two, three hundred dollars. It made tremendous sense. Today, no one's really doing it because one, it's just too expensive because the value add component tells you it's a, it's 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 transitional. You got to go in, you got to fix it up, and you got to stabilize it. So you need floating rate money. You can't really buy a value add deal with fixed rate finance because you're never gonna be able to pull your cash out to pay back your investors. The supplemental is going to help, but nothing crazy, right? Especially if you're doing a heavy value add. So because the debt isn't there, it just no longer makes sense. And then on top of that, combine that with the fact that the merchant builders need to get out now earlier and earlier. The new build, which was so expensive a year ago, which was sizing at two and a half caps, three caps, three and a half caps, are today sizing at four and a half caps to five caps to five and a half caps. So that's become more available that's become more accessible that's become more of a work a workaround so while the value add story though compelling has become less relevant the new built has become more relevant because of the market 
Yep. That makes sense. So you let's talk about this $1.85 billion deal. I mean, that is absolutely massive. It's hard to even comprehend how large of a project that is. This was the the Aragon portfolio that you did. Talk to us about what that portfolio was, why it was a $1.85 billion deal, how you got to it. I mean, let's hear the breakdown. Let's hear the story of the deal. Sure. So, so, uh, oh, it's a, it's a great story. I, I love telling the story. So I was at, I was in New York. I'm at a, a, a large venue at a real estate event, and I run into a gentleman who works for a very large institution. And he tells me we're, we're chatting. He's had a few drinks, obviously, so he's he's rather talkative. And he tells me we're going after the Aragon portfolio. I said, "Oh, that that's super interesting. I didn't know it was on the market. I thought it was wasn't on the. I didn't know it was on the market. Aragon was fourteen thousand units." It had been on the market a few months prior. The summer prior had been on the market. It had been put under contract and it fell apart. It was not a new mark listing at the time. So this is four months or five months later, the name pops up again. So he tells me that he's going back after it. The minute he leaves, I immediately text my boss and say, hey, and I still have a screenshot of that message saying, hey, I just met this and this guy. He tells me that the Aragon portfolio is back on the market. So he jumped, he springs into action. He marshals the troops and everyone jumps into the action. And we start to reach out to the principals of Aragon saying, hey, we heard a rumor that you're ready to relist the portfolio. We would love to relist the portfolio for you. So the gentleman says, look, you can relist the portfolio for me, but I don't want a big marketed thing. I want to do a very small and tailored sale. So our investment sale brokers combined, which you have deals in Dallas, you had deals in the Carolinas, you had deals all over. 14,000 units spread over the Sunbelt. We actually named it the Sunbelt Portfolio. So I cover a group called Harbor Group. Harbor Group is an $18 billion fund. They own 60,000 units. They love to buy in bulk because rather than buy ones and twos, if they can buy bulk, that's much better for them. They have an in-house management company. They've got people, boots on the ground all across the country. They would be the perfect buyer. So I reach out to the principal of, of, of Harbor Group, Jordan Sloan. I said, hey, we're going to... We're going to bring out the deal. And he said, look, Henry, I really want this deal. I said, okay. So he said, let's go meet the principals of Aragon. Let's go meet them in person. So even before the deal was listed, even before anything was put together, even before we put, on a, we put a book together, Jordan and myself got on a plane. Well, he got on his private plane. I got on uh, <laughs> Delta or whatever, JetBlue. Oh, he didn't want to take you on his jet? Come on. <laughs> I'm from Norfolk, Virginia, and I was flying from New York. So we, yeah. went, to, we went to meet the principles of Aragon. And I think that had a very, very uh, positive effect that even though nothing was listed, just to meet principle to principle, and Jordan did his thing, I did my thing. And then Jordan left and I, I stayed on and I, I spent time with the principles. And one of the things I do very well is I become friendly and I'm very friendly and outgoing and, and that, that stands me in very good stead. And and we became, we became good buddies. They came to New York. I wined and dined them. I, I set everything up. I took care of them. There was champagne in the hotel rooms and chocolates and a nice car so i did all the broken things that needed to be done ultimately we went to market to the 20 groups and we called for offers and and we had the inside track and we were we we, we kind of helped tell know when pricing need to be and we told jordan all the time you need to be at this number this is what the number gets done and jordan was at 1.8 billion dollars and then on the final day, and I'll, I'll never forget this, my boss, Anthony Orso, Zach Springer, the investment sale broker, Jordan and the principals of Aragon 
are on the phone trying to hash out a deal and they're fighting over the last $50 million. And they come to an impasse and neither of them will budge and they both hang up the phone on each other like the deal <laughs> is fall apart. And it's in the ninth hour and it's like 6.30 and, and Anthony's on the phone outside a restaurant talking to both Jordan, talking to the principals of Aragon, kind of bringing them together. And like around 8.30, we struck a deal at $1.85 billion. But this is when the work starts now. So the deal's been done. Now it's our job to bring them the money to get this deal done. So we went out to maybe 100 lenders. We, we, we really, we put together a magnificent book on, on the portfolio. And they did, it was so well done. And my team is amazing. We went out to everybody. We found Bank of America for for 400 odd million dollars, Freddie Mac for 600, odd, 600 million dollars, that was a billion dollars. And then there was an assumption component of another 400, 500 million dollars. So the total debt was, was sorry, maybe less about 300, was $1.3 billion. And then on top of that was all equity and the deal got done. And it was the fifth largest deal uh, in history. Uh, and I, I, I dream of doing another monster portfolio, but that is a real roller coaster ride up and down to get that done. I love that, man. Those deals are always that way. I mean, the largest deal I've ever done, you know, nowhere near that size. It was an $18 million acquisition. And uh, we're doing probably a, you know, we're, we're master planning it for about one and a half million square feet of, of redevelopment. So it'll probably be well over, well over, I don't know, four or $500 million by the time we're done. But it, uh, man, it, it tried to fall apart on us so many times. And I just looked back at it. I was like, man, that was the universe just making sure we really wanted to make this thing happen. I mean, seriously, I was, I was on the phone December 31st, New Year's Eve, trying to make sure, like, I mean, at, at midnight, the contract was over. I was trying to pull my equity in from Texas and get these guys on board and get the seller to give us an extension because their their leases were all a mess. And oh man, and, and we pulled it off on New Year's Eve. And I'll never forget that. But it, it makes a great story. But damn, was that really tough going through at the time. And you've, you've always got to know you don't count your chickens till they hatch, right? And and I made a classic mistake. Uh, I was working on, a, on another portfolio called Cedar Ridge. I, we have a client called Aaron Gorin. He, he bought a ton of real estate and uh, and I kept on telling him, Aaron, you've got to you got to you got to sell some of the, your, your real estate. You're being so crazy that you'll become so emotionally involved. Real estate is a transaction. It's a transactional asset. You bought it. You've done your work. Sell it. Take chips off the table. And he was fighting me. And finally, I pulled out a line from Goodwill Hunting. I pulled out the line. That <laughs> I said, you're sitting on the winning lottery ticket and you're too bleep to cash it in. He started laughing. He said, OK. Let's do it. So we did the same thing. It was $575 million. We, we listed it with a guy called, with our guy in the, it was all in the Carolinas called Jason Conn, Dean Smith and John Heinberger who, who dominate in the Carolinas. They, they brought it to market and we, we, we ran the process and we assigned it to a buyer, $475 million. I'm in, I'm in New York. I call my wife I, and then it's assigned. We go through, through everything gets done. We're going to close on Friday. It's Wednesday. I'm in New York. I call my wife and say, look, let's go to St. Bart's. The deal's closing on Friday. It's through committee. I need a holiday. This has been such a brain drain. I need a, a four-day vacation. Let's go to St. Bart's. So she says, fine. I meet her in the Miami airport. We get on the flight from Miami to St. Bart's, and there's no Wi-Fi on the plane. And this is, this is Wednesday, right? Deal's closing Friday. Wednesday was committee. Was in New York for committee. Flew back from New York. She met her in the airport with my bag Wednesday. Fly to St. Bart's. Four-hour flight to St. Bart's. 
land in St. Bart's, turn my phone back on because there's no Wi-Fi on the plane, and my phone lights up like a Christmas tree. Oh, loads no. of messages, loads, loads of, 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 of voicemails, call me, where the hell are you? Call me, call me, call me. Seller is retrading by $40 million because the lender post-committee is changing their terms. So I'm in St. Bart's, I'm meant to be on holiday, and I'm just <laughs> dealing with this hell on earth, trying to hold the hand of the buyer from not freaking out, holding the hand of the seller from not freaking out, and finding out why the lender post-committee is changing everything. And the lender, this is, this is coming towards the end of this cycle, so it was the end of last year. Things were starting to turn a little bit bad. The lender was very nervous. So they were not going to budge on theirs. So we finally got seller to relinquish $25 million of price. So we, we got the retrade worked out. I closed the deal. We closed the deal Monday. So my entire weekend in St. Bart's was just busy dealing with this. So it wasn't much of a holiday. So always teaches you don't go on vacation till it's really done, till the money's in the bank account. That's right. That's right. But hey, I mean, at least you were taking those calls on the beach there, right? It had to, it had to help a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 my wife is a photo of me with my book open on the beach, with my, with, with, my, with my book, writing notes on the phone for hours and hours, just trying to get this thing over the line. But I've got to give credit to, to the rest of the team. They were in New York. They held it down. And they, they did an, a marvelous job supporting and getting this all. And this is, this is not just me. It's, it's very important. I, I work within a team of four or five unbelievable guys. We're led by an unbelievable guy called Anthony Orso, who used to run Credit Suisse. He's a legend in the business, so he's always there for us. So it, it's not me. It's a, it's a team effort. But you're only as good as the team, and the team is really spectacular. That's exactly right. I mean, it's the commercial real estate in any capacity is a team is a team game. I, I don't care what you're doing. I mean, it's it's all about the people that you surround yourself with to get these deals done, because no man is an island. And there's nothing more true. There's no industry that is more true than, than commercial real estate, in my opinion. Um, Henry, obviously, you've got an electric personality, and that helps on the sales side, right? It makes it really easy for you to connect with people. I mean, that's that's one of my gifts, right? It's very easy for me to just hang out. I could talk to a wall if I really had to. Um, so, you know, you started off as as a nightclub promoter, right? I mean, this hasn't been your your career since you graduated from college. So talk to me about the steps of of going, you know, from something that's completely different into doing, you know, billion dollar deals. I mean, that's that's a pretty crazy story. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really insane. I kind of pinch myself and I think it's just amazing. Thank God this this life that I'm I'm leading and have led. So so in yeah. in twenty ten I, I, after the crap, I was in, I was in private equity from after school, came to New York in 2002, was in private equity from 2002 to 2008. The crash of 2008 affected me horribly. I don't know if a lot of your listeners will, will remember this. 2008 was a black swan event. A massive company started to wobble. Lehman Bank, one of the institutions in American banking went out of business, Bear Stearns. So all of these guys just got destroyed and there was a liquidity crunch. There was no money. And in the private equity world, money is the key to keeps everything going. So I got rinsed, completely, completely, utterly destroyed in the crash of 2008. And I wanted nothing to do with finance. It had just humbled me. I was 28 years old. I'd never seen a downturn. And just the, 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 the rapid movement from in September of 2008 was just so crazy and it just... Uh, the, the movie, The Big Short, I can't watch it because it gives me PTSD. I lived that yeah. movie. So, so I wanted nothing to do with, with, with finance anymore. And I went on a completely different way. I went into the nightclub business. 
And myself and a friend of mine opened a nightclub called Madame Wong's, which became an overnight sensation, just the coolest place to be. It was an old Chinese restaurant that we converted into a, a nightclub. It had a cabaret license and it just exploded. And it really put my name on the map as someone who knew what, the, what they were doing. So after Madame Wong's did Madame Wong's, clubs in New York last for about one to two years. They have a very short lifestyle. Did Madame Wong's, opened Red Egg, then started doing parties at Capital and other places that opened the Raven in the meatpacking district. And in 2015, after doing this for five, sorry, 2016, after doing this for six years, I was very tired of this world, this life. And my girlfriend, now wife and mother of my kids, said to me, she says, you got to go back to finance. you got to go back to being, you got to get out of this business. Go see Anthony also, who's the head of Cantor Commercial Real Estate, the head of Cantor, Cantor Fitzgerald. She knew Anthony from, a, from, a, from another capacity. I didn't really know Anthony. So I go see Anthony and he says, I can't give you a job because you have no experience in commercial real estate. You've got no experience in commercial real estate lending, but I'll be happy to give you an internship and you can sit in the office and you can learn and I'll spend time with you and teach you and see if you can do anything with it. So I didn't have a Canter phone. I didn't have a Canter email. I set up a company called London Green Capital. And every morning I went to sit in this office and I just listened and learned and asked a lot of questions. And I knew absolutely nothing, 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 nothing. They make fun of me in the office that on my, one of my first weeks there, I brought a deal, which was a hotel deal. And I said, hey, can Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae finance this hotel? <laughs> because the agencies only do multi. That's how little I knew. So, and, and there was a great guy there called Chris Milner, who would just take the time to teach me and take the time to listen to me. And Bill Weber, who I work with today, who, who just would, would give me the time. And I always had the gift of the gab. So I learned the lingo of the business rather quickly. And I understood straight away that what, Cantor had, which was unique, that they were a direct Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae lender. Now, a lot of guys out there, a lot of brokerage firms don't have direct Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae. They act as brokers that go to, to dust lenders. We were a dust lender. So I said, why don't I go to all the guys that are using brokers, say, cut out the middleman, go direct. And that's what I started doing. I started talking to people and hustling and and, and say, hey, what, you're going to Meridian, you're paying a broker fee to Meridian for Meridian to take you to Cap One as their dust lender. So if you're doing a $10 million deal, you're paying $100,000 to the dust lender, you're paying $100,000 to the broker. Cut out the $100,000, go direct to the dust lender. And of course, when in a business where you every penny counts, and especially these numbers are quite substantial, this was a very attractive pitch. So I started very quickly getting small deals, 6 million, 5 million, 7 million, 8 million, 9 million, and I slowly built up the business. But my, the real turn happened for me when my friend said, hey, I'm, do, I'm going to a symposium tonight where Jordan Sloan of Harbor Group is speaking. Would you like to go with? I didn't know who Harbor Group was. I didn't know anything. I said, yeah, of course, I'll go with you. I went to see Jordan Sloan speak in the Natural History Museum in New York City. And he spoke and he showed what his company was doing. And he said, we did $3 billion. And at the end of the symposium, everyone got like a little book. And I took the book home. And the next morning I walked into the office with a book and I said, hey guys, how come we're not doing business with Harbor Group with Jordan Sloan? And he said, oh, well, he's very wedded to this and this firm. We haven't been able to break in yet. And I was determined to break in. A few weeks later, I went from my, to my first national multi-housing corporation, uh, the, 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 the show, in, it was in San Diego. I went, not as a cant, I went with my London Green email and I see Jordan standing at the bar at one of the parties. And without thinking, I make a beeline for him. I say, hey, Jordan, my name is Henry Stimler. I have one question. 
He smiled. He said, what's the question? I said, you did $3 billion of deals last year. How come you did none of it with Cantor? So he smiled. He said, because we haven't found the right guy there yet. Maybe now we have. He gave me his card. I set up a meeting. He came in with his whole team. Cantor rolled out the red carpet for him. And very quickly, we started doing business with Harbour. And obviously, the size of they are, they're a huge part of my business, part of my life. But once you start doing a lot of big deals with a lot of big guys, other guys come to you. So Harbour was kind of the first big, I've, I've been doing smaller deals. Harbour was the first big institution. And since then, we've landed some of the largest institutions in the country that we cover as our clients. So I always say, don't be scared, have courage. If you see someone you want to go talk to, don't get into your head, go talk to the guy or the girl or whatever, just go. Yeah, you've got nothing to lose, right? Who yeah. cares? I mean, yeah. I, I've I've always felt that way. I'm like, I'm going to reach out to everybody because what are they going to do? For, forget my name if they don't want to talk to me? Like, so what? Big you know, deal. we'll reach out. It's part of life. Big deal. Big deal. Yeah. So you get shut down. But, it, but you know, Jordan always says, uh, Jordan's, Jordan, uh, Michael Jordan, I miss more shots than I made, than I made. Because, but I, I took the shot. Take your shot. And that happens. That's in all things in life. Take your shot. I took my shot. And it was amazingly uh, an amazing outcome for me. So everyone out there, do the same thing. Take your shot. Yeah, you've got to. I mean, I've been doing the same thing here recently. I met with a developer down in Atlanta that's doing some, you know, billion dollar projects. And he was he was telling me the story of how he got hooked up with his his debt and equity partner who, you know, they, they looked at him. And they said, hey, you've got the experience, but you don't have the capital. We're going to put everything together. We're going to put the debt. We're going to put the equity, you know, the equity together. And we're going to structure this in a way to where you're going to make plenty of money on this first deal, but it's going to be very painful for you until you do that. And it was, you know, it was one of the big firms. And so I said, you know what, I'm just going to start reaching out to Goldman Sachs and all of these big groups, and I'm going to annoy them until somebody gets on the phone with me. And so that's, I'm in the process of that right now, because my team is capable of doing $100 million developments, we just haven't found the right, uh, found the right capital partner. And, and that's, that's all it takes. Bang down those you know? doors. Kick those doors down if you have to. I'm sure you're going to get there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Keep kicking. Keep kicking. Exactly. So, hey, you know, whether you're doing these massive deals or small deals, the the commercial loan application process is is relatively the same. How, um, you know, if you're going through this process as an investor, what can you bring to the to the table for the lender to make their job so much easier that it'll increase your chances of approval? Well, be buttoned up. Be buttoned up. If, if you get a question from the lender saying, hey, explain to me your other loans, where they are in the DSCR, why are they here, what's going on with the other deals. If you're taking two weeks to answer, that's going to make the lender very nervous. Communication is key. And that's not just to, to get new loans today. If you have issues with your current loans, if you have a problem because of the rising interest rates, the worst thing you can do is hide. Talk to your lenders. Be forthright with your lenders. Be out there with your lenders. So both, both in terms of existing loans and new loans be communicative if you need to give answers i don't want to chase you for four days to get an answer that's gonna make me very very nervous if i can't get simple answers out of you if i don't have a plan what's your capex plan what's your reno plan what's your security plan what's your what's your retail what's what's your plan have a plan in place know all the answers no one is going to give you money if you don't know the answers, if you say, oh, I'm going to have to get back to you and it takes, and if you, sometimes you have to go and look it up and come back. But if you have to go and look it up, come back within the hour and give the answer. Don't wait four or five days to come back and respond to those questions. Because especially in today's environment, there are a lot of bad sponsors. The banks are, and lenders are very, very cognizant of those. They want to make sure you're a good sponsor. Yeah, it makes a it makes a huge difference because 
they know that that's how you're going to operate once you've got the debt, right? And so yeah. if you're incredibly responsive, you're you're heading everything off at the pass, then they're going to want to work with you. But if you're the guy that takes forever to respond or you don't ever respond, or, you know, it's just, I mean, I don't like doing business with those people. I've got some people in my circle, whether it's a general contractor or an architect or whomever, where, man, you feel like you're just having to, to get the FBI involved to get a hold of these guys. It's incredibly frustrating. It's such bad business. I always say that one of the determining factors, we're predominantly debt guys, but we have done some really, really large equity checks. The type of guys we're going to bring big equity checks to we want to see how they do in their reporting. How are open book, open Komodo are they? Komodo. Do you have portals to see their rent rolls? Do they send weekly reports, bi-monthly reports, monthly reports? How is their reporting? Because that is the biggest determining factor is the communication. So if I see a guy that is a bad communicator, doesn't communicate with his clients, I'm never going to bring him any equity recommendations because why? It's just going to be so they're going to be pissed off with me that I brought this really bad operator that doesn't communicate with them on their money. But if I yeah. see someone that was super communicative, I'm like, you know what? That's a good guy. Let's make some good equity introductions to those guys. Yeah, because it's a reflection of you, right? I mean, your equity guys are going to look at you and be like, why are you wasting our time with a guy like this? I'm in bed with this guy. Why am I in bed with this terrible operator that doesn't respond to me? Yeah, exactly. Well, Henry, obviously, uh, you know, we kind of mentioned it at the, at the at the top of the show, but uh, we're in a very interesting environment right now. How do you see the market going for the next two, three, five years? It's very hard to predict. I say every time Powell speaks, my 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 heart sinks and my bank account shrinks. You know, <laughs> the continued rising of interest rates is having a tremendously detrimental effect on everybody in the real estate business because the real estate business is tethered to the 10-year, the seven-year, the five-year, and the sofa rate because no one buys real estate using cash. It's a leverage game. The returns need the leverage. So the Fed is effectively killing the game for us. So I'm very hopeful that there's an end in sight. I thought there was an end in sight after the ninth rate hike increase when they stopped the 50 and they went to the 25s. I thought they would taper off. It doesn't look like it because there are so many other mitigating factors, the strong consumer confidence, inflation being so stubborn, crazy wage growth, crazy, crazy job growth. So they're going to stay to their task. I believe they're going to raise rates again now uh, in, in the next few weeks and then again in September. But I'm very hopeful that that will be the end. We're also going to come to an election in 2024. And you have to think that prior to an election, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Fed to lower rates to kind of pump up the economy before the election. So I'm hoping by 2024, we'll be out of this muck and this mire. Saying that, saying that, I see this as one of the greatest opportunities I've ever seen. And I'm actively involved in this. If you have cash right now, you just have to do the work, search for the right asset, find the right property, find the right deal, do your homework. But there are diamonds to be picked up and people will make a lot of money taking advantage of the people that are in pain. We're not yet seeing huge sell-offs. That's not yet, hasn't yet come. And unlike the office market where people are handing back keys, the multifamily market is still relatively secure and the fundamentals are still very good. But that doesn't mean to say that you can't find great deals. I'll give you an example. We have a deal in Austin that when we BOB'd the deal, when we gave the broker's opinion of value, we brokered the deal, we gave the opinion of value that the broker that should sell for $350,000 a unit. This was a few months back. It was recently placed under under contract at 248 a unit. So while the developer is getting squeezed, he's barely pulling out his cash, 
the guy who's buying it is buying an absolute treasure because that asset we thought would sell for 350 is buying at 248. You've just got to find the opportunities. You've just got to do your work. So while things aren't rosy, things aren't great, interest rates are incredibly high, there is opportunity as long as you do the work to find it. And then on top of that, I'll end by saying this. If you own real estate today, your job right now to keep your head above water is be a good operator. Operate your property properly. Be a good steward. Be a good guardian. Fix the toilets. Fix the showers. Because the worst thing you want to do right now is have a million bad Yelp reviews and have a vacant property. So keep your tenants in their units. Keep your heads in beds. Be a good operator and you'll be able to see through this, this tough time, I think. Henry, this has been a great conversation, man. If anybody wants to get a hold of you to talk about financing their properties or, or debt and equity, capital markets, how can they uh, how can they get a hold of you? The easiest way is uh, on LinkedIn. My name is Henry Stimler, or you can send me an email at henry.stimler, that's S-T-I-M for mother, L-E-R, at nmrk.com. Henry.stimler at nmrk.com. That's great. Henry, thank you so much for your time, and we will see you guys next week. Thank you, Ryan. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast, brought to you by CS Business Screen, the premier choice for de-risking real estate partnerships. Head on over to csbusinessscreen.com slash cobble for 20% off your first investigation.